There's a thought that has uh, continued to circle in my mind the last 48 hours or so. We have examples in Scripture, and some of them were cited in the earlier service. One was Jonah. Jonah was a man that when God came to Jonah and asked something of him, he ran the other way. He was one of those non-confrontive types. Are you non-confrontive? Do you avoid situations that you consider to be a confrontation? Now, if you are a parent and you have kids, you can't do that. <laughs> you, you know, this, and this is our, our education class. You have to confront ideas, thoughts, direction, whatever, with your kids because you're helping them to grow and survive their childhood. But as we move into adulthood, and sometimes we find ourselves on a, in a vocation, on a job, working, and I find a lot of people, the majority of people, avoid not just conflict, but they avoid confrontation. Now, I'll tell you, the people who don't avoid confrontation, they become the management. They become managers. People who avoid confrontation, you're not going there no matter how much you want to. You won't. You cannot. Because the life of management is constantly either affirming or confronting situations that employees or laborers will have to keep things moving in the right direction. Now, here's what's interesting about a manager. A manager is a middleman. He has to try to work with the employees, but he has to please the boss or the owner. So he's a middleman. He can't be the friend of the employees. You know, he's not going to be in the lunchroom with you. I, I didn't mean to go here, but here we are. But when we, but here's the thing. We say, well, that's just not me. That's just not my personality. Well, right now anyway. But I will tell you from experience, in my 20s, God dealt with me about confrontation, which I so quickly wanted to avoid, but he let me to know this is something that you have to get through and you need to learn this for the future, okay? So in other words, he knew something about what he wanted me to be involved in in the future that I didn't have a clue of that was going to involve the need to confront. Now, are you hearing me? So Jonah was not the confrontive type. Yet he was asked to go and deliver a message to a people that he felt like were not going to hear him, were not going to receive him, so he ran the other way. 
He was afraid of the people. Now, it's very common in human beings to run from the things that they fear. Agreed? Anybody ever experienced that? Go ahead, slip up a hand. You've wanted to be brave, you've wanted to be courageous, and you wanted to be somebody that might be even considered to be management, but there's this thing called confrontation that you have always avoided and you know there's a need to change. Okay, now, Jonah ran from what he feared. There was another guy in the Bible, Moses. Moses, having had some idea, maybe from his mother, Jochebed, I think was her name, and and the Lord, that God had an intention, or we might call it a calling, on his life that, that would be into his future. It wasn't today yet, but it was in the future, and there were indicators coming to him, but yet he found himself in a situation that brought fear. When, when, when he had acted out on his feelings and maybe what would be the eventual calling in his life, it didn't go well. He killed a person and then tried to cover it up. And then when he realized it wasn't covered up, that scared him. So what did he do? Rather than face his fear, he ran from his fear. Now, you know how long that run lasted? It lasted 40 years. It lasted for a major part of his life. And then it took God approaching him way on in life and saying, look, I have intention for you. I have a calling on your life. And, <coughs> excuse me, you have ran it's time for you to come and answer that call, to go back, to return. And with all the excuses that he gave, and we do that, that's our humanity. Well, yeah, maybe, not me, not me. No, not me. And he gave all these excuses, and God answered each one of those excuses. Okay, I'll get your brother to help. Okay, this, okay, that. And finally persuaded him to return to the fulfilling of God's calling on his life. But it was fear that he could not face that caused him to run. That's two. Now we have a guy by the name of Jacob. He had a brother Esau. More than that, he had a mother. And in the process of God's trying to reveal intention for Jacob and Esau, his mother formulated a plan because he was the favorite of the mother. And in the process of working that out, 
his brother became enraged at him, and rather than face Esau, rather than face the problem, with the help of mom, my brother lives over in uh, whatever place that was, my brother Laban, run, run for your life, go live with him for a while. And uh, once again, a man whom God had intention for faced with the fear of his brother and the circumstances that he probably could have got himself into all by himself, but he had a little help. And so now he's in trouble and he is fearful. So what does he do? Does he face the situation? Does he deal with the confrontation? No. He ran. Here we have another example in the Bible of a man running and spending a major portion of his life. Now, I don't remember how long these guys lived. They lived a lot longer than we do today. But still, it was significant that he was out there, what? Raising animals. In the wilderness, raising animals. Call a God on his life. And then, let's, let's turn to Genesis chapter 31 at verse 11. And while we're turning there, we have a man by the name of Ananias that was mentioned earlier today. When, 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 when Saul of Tarsus, who was like the arch enemy of the church, come into town or was in town and, you know, had letters to lock people up and put them in prison. The Lord went to and spoke to a man, Ananias, and told him, I want you to go and pray for this man. What was his response? Oh, sure, man. Where is he? No. He was as human as you and I, and he began to push back at the Lord. No, you don't know what you're talking about. This is, you know, it wasn't that bad. But he did. He pushed back. And because this is this is the human element. I have heard about this guy. It's terrible, and I'm afraid of him. That's <coughs> what he was saying. <coughs> he said, he'll kill me. And he pushed back at God's. The, can you imagine to have been Ananias? the person that would be sent to a Saul who would become a Paul who would write most of the New Testament to the body of Christ. He was the elected one by God. But yet, again, out of fear, not me, and he pushed back. This is a tendency. Okay, now. Here we have Jacob, and uh, he went through the same scenario. He ran from Esau, his brother, and uh, he went and lived in another country for the larger part of his life, raising cows. And the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, 
I said, here I am, here am I. He said, lift up now thine eyes and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ringstraked, speckled and gristled. For I have seen all that Laban, Uncle Laban, doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel. What, what's that mean? In Jacob's journeying in trying to run away from the circumstances, he laid upon a stone one night as a, as a pillow, and God began to give him vision and dream, and he saw a ladder, and this was at Bethel. And he saw a ladder reaching up into heaven and the angels ascending and descending. And God stood at the top of the ladder and he said, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. And now I am the God of Jacob. Here, returning and speaking to Jacob, he says, I am the God of Bethel. I am the one that spoke to you that night where thou anointest the pillar and where thou vowest a vow unto me. Now arise and get thee out from this land and return unto the land of thy kindred. Now, the choice of words here are interesting. When he says, return unto the land of what? Of the kindred. What do you think Jacob heard? Return to the land of Esau, my brother. And now he is, again, struck with fear. Now, God persuades him, convinces him to go, and he does. He packs up things, and he heads, but immediately he devises ways to survive this confrontation because he's afraid. He divided up the family. You go this way. You guys go that way, and, and you guys go ahead. And then that night, he wrestled in prayer. See, that's what he had, should have done a long time ago. Because in the wrestling in prayer and with the angel of God, he was given the victory. This is where victory comes from. It's not from changing the circumstances. It's not from avoiding the things that we fear the most. It's facing your fears straight ahead, getting victory with God to simply move forward. And finally, he got up that morning, had a little bit of a gimp in his step, and headed that direction. And when word come, he said, send, send word, tell Esau we're coming. And uh, they did, and they came back, and they said, he's coming too. He's got 400 men with him. Ooh, and all that fear surfaces right to the top again. Uh, Jacob wasn't an angel. He was a man like you and I. And when you hear the report and you hear of circumstances, you start to weigh it all out. And what happens? Fight or 
flight, and it's mostly flight. Jacob was the little guy. Esau was the hunter. And it's such a miracle of God when he, you know, he sees them out there a long ways, and, man, he's, you know, giving it this. He's prostrating himself on the floor, and he's, he is afraid for his life. But he, he knows he has no choice. He has to face the thing that he fears. And when he does, and he finally comes <clears throat> into contact with Esau, what happens? Esau embraces him like a brother. And all of those things that were made up in his mind that could have happened, should have happened, might have happened, and had him in fear running, none of it was there. Listen to me. The Lord had healed that situation. The Lord healed Esau. So, that's what I've come to tell you. Face the things that you fear. Don't live a life of non-confrontation. You know, confrontation doesn't have to be a fight. It's simply facing off with the thing you fear the most for whatever reason. You've probably got lots of evidence and, you know, in your repertoire. The Lord will help us when we face the things that we fear. And once, you know, Elder Hart, I come into the last part of the service and I only heard the last remarks. And... Uh, it was talking about the point beyond your failure. In other words, God using you after you've gotten over or gotten beyond your failure. And this really is kindred to that, sister to that. When you get beyond your fear, when you think about Abraham, again, instructed by God to take his son up under yonder place and worship and to offer his son on the altar... Of sacrifice, I can't imagine the, the grueling trip up the mountain. But oh, the comparison of getting beyond that moment. The things that he had to have feared. He had to have begun to I think he convinced himself. God is able to raise him up, but I have got to obey him and do what he said. But the Lord... In that moment, said, stop what you're doing. Now both of us know. Now both of us know you were not just willing, but you were able to do as I have asked you to do. Now let me make a provision for you. See, God's supernatural hand always wants to work in our midst. But the part that I think about the most is him coming off that mountain. The difference between the climb up and the journey down, having got beyond the test, having got beyond the confronting of self, and seeing the miraculous hand of God. Amen. Elder. Praise God.
I just, uh, you might stay right there just a second. You know, it's interesting. Bishop referenced Moses. We think about Moses, and my, what a ministry he had. And we forget these human elements of men's and women's lives that they walked through before we see the manifestation of that ministry. And you read about Moses' life. Bishop referenced it where he's out in the wilderness, and the Lord says, you know, he sees the burning bush. Aren't you thankful for the supernatural working of the Lord? And you know that moment when you have a supernatural experience with God? Here's Moses. He sees the burning bush. He's got to be excited when the voice says, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. That's gotta, something's got to be stirring in his spirit like, wow, whatever this is, this is awesome. And, and, he said, and the Lord begins to talk to him. And you know that feeling when God starts talking to you and you know God's dealing with your heart? And I can't imagine. And then the Lord says, I want you to go back to Egypt. And that's when the excuses started. He was glad to have God talk to him until God asked him to do something contrary to what he wanted to do. And that's when he said, I can't talk. I'm slow of speech. I can't do this. I, who do I tell them sent me? How, do I, how will they know? What do I? I mean, read it. It's there. And all this, God says, throw down the rod. It becomes a snake. Now take it back again. Stick your hand inside your bosom. And he sticks it in and pull, it's, pulls it out. It's like leprosy. Now put it back again. He does. He pulls it out. But he still doesn't say, okay, fine, I believe you now. He still wrestles and fights. But he finally resolves to obey God. And it's a beautiful thing when you see it in Scripture. He says, he finally says, okay. And he goes and he talks to his father-in-law, Jethro. And he says, allow me to leave. I'm going to go back to my brethren that are in Egypt and see how they're doing. I'm paraphrasing, but that's exactly what he said. And his father-in-law says, okay. It's the first time you see Moses saying, I'm going to do this. And the very next verse. Here, let's, let's, I don't want you to think I'm making this up. Exodus 4 and 18. It's the first time we find Moses saying yes, or at least expressing it to anybody what he's going to do. Moses went, returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me go, I pray you. Return to my brethren which are in Egypt and see whether they be yet alive. Yeah? This is his expression. I'm going to do it. Jethro says, Go in peace. Watch the very next verse. And the Lord said to Moses, in Midian, that's where he wasn't supposed to be. Go return to Egypt, for all the men are dead that sought your life. I see that, and I'm like, you know, Lord, you could have just told me that first. I mean, does that make sense? I'm like, why didn't God just start there? That's what we want. God, tell me everything's going to be fine. Tell me you've taken care of everything. Tell me that you've got everything in order, and then I'll obey. Tell me what it's going to look like when I get there. Tell me what it's going to... We, like, we want God to be our fortune teller. 
Oh, I know we don't want to say that, but that's exactly what we expect of God. God, tell me the future. Isn't it funny how we can do that to God? Expect. I know he knows the future, but we think he has to tell us before we'll trust him. Did, he, did the Lord know that when he told Moses, I want you to go? Why didn't the Lord share it? Was he playing games with Moses? Does he play games with you and I? No. Moses, I don't want your confidence or lack thereof in the circumstances I'm taking you to. I want your confidence in my calling on your life and where I'm taking you and what I'm doing. But once Moses got a yes in his spirit, it's almost to me. This is just me, the way I read scripture. I'm not trying to add to scripture. You read it the way. When I read it, it's almost like the Lord is saying when he said, yeah, I'm, I'm going. It's like the Lord said, oh, oh, by the way, one more thing. All those men that sought your life, they're dead. Nobody's remembering that but you. I took care of all of that past that would try to keep you from walking in my calling on your life. I took care of all of those mistakes that would try to keep you from fulfilling my purpose that's set upon you. I took care of all of the yesterday where you acted foolishly. And now that you're responding to me, I'm going to use you as I intend. Trust that I've taken care of the past. It's what the blood does. It's what the blood does. It deals with the past so we can walk into the calling of God. It deals with the yesterday so I don't have to walk into tomorrow fearing yesterday coming back to haunt me. I remember, I'm not going to call names. I remember a young man. He's not here today. Um, he was working. And all the work he was doing, it was under the table. I learned this through a different deal I'm like what's the deal well he says I've got some warrants back in and I don't want them to know I, I'm afraid that like if I I use my real social he was using his brothers he had a brother I don't know if it was his twin brother or just an older younger brother. he was using his brother's information to work and he would always try to find jobs getting paid under the table. So then he didn't have to divulge all that. And so he repented. The Lord filled him with the Holy Ghost. But he was still doing this. I didn't know this till after that had happened. And so, Bishop, I confronted him. I said, hey, what's the deal? And that's when all that came out. I didn't know all that. He tells me all this stuff. I'm like, he's a single young man. I said, you ever plan on getting married? Oh, yeah. God's going to send me somebody. I said, you going to get paid under the table and take care of your family? Is this the plan? 
How long are you going to carry? You're going to get married and you're going to try to buy like a car and a house and you're going to work under the table or you're going to use your brother's social security. We're just talking real life. Is this okay? But I'm talking about real life and God using us. He was so sure that the moment he stepped out and put his social security number back out there into the system, I think was his words. All those warrants are going to come up. They're going to come. I'm going to go back to jail. <laughs> so what happens if I go back to jail? I said, ah, Paul went to jail. That wasn't what he wanted to hear, I'm sure. I was like, Paul went to jail. He started singing and God did a miracle in the jailhouse. He started a church in Philippi Was Paul was in jail. Not the worst thing that can happen. I've not spent time in jail other than voluntarily going and but. I think I understand you have a place to sleep and food. I'm not encouraging that direction. Please don't misunderstand me today. But the, guy, the, the young man's like, well, but what if I go back to jail? I'm like, and that's what happens. But you can't just keep proverbially kicking the can down the road and avoiding this. Well, I really, I don't even know what my social security number is. This, this is the next thing. I, was, I think about Moses. I, I, I'm not sometimes good at hiding my emotions. You probably know this. And when he's like, well, I don't know that. I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I, I just, I said, well, request it from Social Security office. They'll, well, I don't have an ID. <laughs> I'm like kids these days. That's, no, I, I don't, if you're a kid, I don't take that. I don't have an ID. I'm like, this is getting one thing. This is, must be how the Lord felt with Moses. Another excuse after another excuse. I'm like, this is a real man's life. I wasn't faulting him, but we got to press beyond this stuff. I'm like, okay, go get an ID. Well, if I go to the state and get an ID and they look at my old ID where I came from, all those warrants are going to come up. Oh, now we're really getting to the root of the issue, aren't we? He was dancing around the whole thing. I, I don't do this very often. I really, really don't. I, I don't know that I've done it probably maybe but a couple, three times, if that. I looked at that young man. I said, I have a question for you. Sure. I said, am I your pastor? Yeah. I said, if I give you some instruction that's not going to kill you, are you willing to? He said, yeah. I said, go get your ID. <laughs> okay. He put it off for more than two months. I'd keep asking, well, this happened. Oh, I'm waiting to get this. I'm trying to get that. I'm... I was like, what in the world? I'll make a long story not quite as long now. He got his ID. He requested his social security number. He got his social security number. He got all those things in place. Did none of it brought up anything to go to jail. The Lord dealt with it. Now, why is the Lord dealing with us about this today? That's what we have to ask ourselves. 
Why is the Lord dealing with us this way today? Here's why. Because he knows us. He knows us. Individually, he knows us. He knows our frame. He knows our rising. The Lord knew what Moses had done. But he's a God who delights in mercy. He's a restorer. He makes things new. He takes things that are broken and shattered beyond what we can imagine, where we see no way at all of it ever being corrected. And he has a way beyond what we can even comprehend of taking and turning those things that we thought were evil and using them for good. But he won't force his will on your life or mine. Moses, you have to make a decision. Jacob, you have to make a decision. I'm telling you what to do. But I won't do it for you. I feel like that's what the Lord's telling us. I'm telling you. You know what to do, but I won't do it for you. And we want God to do it all for us. But he won't. It takes trust. I'll finish here. Bishop talked about wrestling with prayer. How Jacob did. And that's really where the victory is won. And when he said that, I couldn't help but think about the Lord Jesus Christ. We know, we see in the Lord Jesus, we believe what the Scripture teaches, that in Jesus Christ, the man Christ Jesus, dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He was God manifested in the flesh. The scripture tells us that he, the Lord Jesus, was tempted in all points just like we are, yet without sin. Doesn't mean, that doesn't mean he was tempted with the same stuff. I don't think Jesus Christ, the man, was ever tempted with the internet. Okay? What does that mean, he was tempted in all points like as we are? Doesn't mean he was tempted with the same stuff. Okay, Jesus didn't wrestle with, I've spent four hours on YouTube, i got to stop. Okay, what it means is he was tempted in his humanity, his emotions, the very things that cause us to give in to temptation. He had to wrestle with those same things as a human being. Desires, emotions, feelings, all, all that. He was tempted in all those things just like us, but he did not give in. Okay, so... We dismiss that. We go, well, Jesus didn't deal with that. Oh, but he did. And he became our supreme example. We find him, you know the story, we find him in the garden of Gethsemane. What's he doing? He's wrestling in prayer to get victory over human fear. Now, for some, that may be sacrilege. You say, you mean you're telling me that... God in the flesh feared. I'm not telling you God had fear. 
But I'm telling you, the man, Christ Jesus, was tempted in all points like as we are. And so humanity would have to feel fear. If he didn't, then the scripture wouldn't be true that he was tempted in all points like as we are. And so why is he? You never, you never find Jesus in his earthly ministry. All through his earthly ministry, you never find him having a conversation with God about not really wanting to do the will of the Father. Matter of fact, he says, I always do that which pleases my Father. He said, the things I do, it's not I that does them, but the Father that does it in me. But when he was facing something, death on a cross, and the humanity had to deal with and face something and confront death, knowing it was the will of God, then at the end of his ministry, before the culmination of the great victory that he was going to walk into, then we find him in the garden, and there he's talking to the Father, and there he says, if it's possible, I'd like to do my will and not yours. Is that the word? We read over that. We quote that. We say, but that's what the wrestling was. The will of humanity versus the will of God. And it's really what becomes the wrestling in us. I know what God's asking of me. I know God's given me some direction. But my humanity is really wrestling with that. So what do I do? I've got to go to Gethsemane. I've got to go to a place of prayer. And I've got to stay there and rest. That's why it's agonizing prayer. That's why it's not just now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul. No, 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 no. It's agonizing prayer. I'm pushing past my will. I'm getting a determination in my spirit to to obey the voice of God that's giving me direction. Somehow, God, you got to give me grace to press through. you got to give me strength to obey you because I'm not sure about what what's ahead and I trust that you are it's the victory that was wrought in the garden we all have to deal with it why don't we stand together this morning the love of God is so prevalent and so clear right now Because it's the love of God and the calling of God set upon lives in this room that is reaching and saying, come on, how long are you going to resist? Come on, how long are you going to avoid just responding? How long are you going to respond partially but never respond fully because of what you see that could be ahead? I had a, I shouldn't say had, I have, thank you, Jesus. I have a good friend. He went away from the Lord for a while. Thank God he's come back to the Lord. I watched him wrestle with the call of God on his life, and it led him into places I'm sure he never thought he'd go when he ran. He made decisions I'm sure he never thought he would have made if you would have asked him when he ran. It affected his home, his family. It affected I'm so thankful he's made his way back to the Lord. I thank God for that. Does that mean, well, God's just not going to use him now because, no, God doesn't think and work that way. He comes back. God restores. And God says, okay, let's go.
That's what I hear from the Lord today. Say, come on, come back, plug in, get past it, confront that issue, and let's go. There's work to do, Moses. There's work to do, Jacob. I got promises on your life. I got promises on your family. I got calling for you. There are people waiting for you. Let's go.